a Town Square Media of Southeast Wyoming podcast. Good morning, good morning. Nick the Motor Guy back here on Cargab. Well, kind of back here because I'm actually going to take a bit of a break. I'm either stunning myself or out on a motorcycle or with a car or, you know, just taking a break from Cargab as much as I love it. I'm going to be doing some interviews today. There will be no calls in, but hopefully you enjoy hearing a few voices you may never have heard before or maybe some voices that you've heard before with new stories. Anyway, here we go. And today with me, I am proud as ever and all the way from Great Britain. And of course, many of you have heard my father, Hugh Dodson, with me over the years. Did our first Cargab show ever before the show even had a name way back in uh, November of 2007. I'm proud to have my father back on today and we can uh, have some... I don't know, some conversations. You may have heard these stories before. You may not have, but they're always fun. And one of the best parts is I get to record these. So that they're down for posterity. Anyway, good morning, dear father. How are you? I am very well and how very nice to hear you. I'm appalled to think how long the show has been going on. I very much remember, very happily, the first one we did. Do you remember we sat in the car driving down to the studio and said, what are we going to talk about? We really ought to do some planning. No, we didn't, and we still haven't. And of course, we did spend many hours over the last three minutes working out what we were going to talk about today, and we realized that, well, we're just going to do the same thing and have some fun with us, and that's what this is going to be about. So, you know, I want to go back. That first show, I wish it was recorded um, in some ways, although with my complete lack of ability in those days, not that it's improved greatly, um, probably a good thing it wasn't. But when what I am and what I have become in the car and motorcycle fanatic thing that is me, it, you, you do realize is entirely your fault. Oh, well, my back is broad, fortunately. I get blamed for everything. Oh, yes, you poor thing. I, I'm sure, I'm sure my, my mother's in the background going, yes, oh, you poor thing. You, did you hear it? I, yeah, I, it was there. <laughs> I'm sure it was. <laughs> no, Nick, honestly, over, over the many years, whether it was sitting around the dining room table or whether it was going for miles and miles in the car, the one thing we never had a problem was is thinking about what we would talk about. Well, as um, as Shrek says about uh, Donkey, it's not getting him to talk that's the problem. <laughs> Thinking of things to talk about on motorcycles and anything with engines and steam and railways and all the rest of it, there's so much to talk about, and it's all been such fun. I've enjoyed every minute of it. Yeah, and of course, where did your, what was your first memory of something automotive? And of course, it's strange that I've ended up, well, not strange, it's probably uh, fate that I ended up doing what I've done. But of course, your father was in the automotive, the trucking industry more, but he was involved in the industry when he worked. Ah, uh, yeah, um, and it goes back even further. Um, he had a, a very hard time when he came home from India in the 1930s. Um, he'd been with um, two firms in, in uh, India, um, having been in the First World War, um, and there were no jobs here. So he, like his brothers, um, took himself off to India 
and he worked for um, an agricultural um, machinery company initially who also imported um, Model T Fords in KD form. And KD form or CKD, complete knockdown. So they basically, yeah. they came a they bit came like a power sports unit today. They come in a crate and you bolt them together, right? Absolutely. And I have got some pictures somewhere. Um, I think you may even have copies of them, of the buffalo carts coming in with big boxes on the back. And about an hour later, there was a Model T Ford. Yep. And the original kit car. Yeah, and of course, the, the Model T being the first production car on a production line, although by the time it came in CKD, it wasn't really a production line. It was probably more of a large shed. It, the, the shed was unbelievable. It didn't even have a hard surface floor. It was dirt. Yeah. I, <laughs> and it was absolutely wonderful. Anyway, the old boy, he did that first, and then he moved on and uh, became an agent for Dunlop's. And uh, he came back to England in the mid-30s with a promise from Dunlop for an executive position, which they reneged on. Yep. So E. Boyle thing was, was out of work, and a very good friend of his, um, Dizzy Desternal, who was an ex-Royal Engineer, um, a much-decorated Royal Engineer officer, and one of the um, funniest people I've ever met. He was, uh, and just for people, I I met uh, w uh, this family friend known as Dizzy, um, and Dizzy was everything that an adult should be but shouldn't be um, to a seven-year-old child. He did all the misbehaving things which just delighted me as a kid, and I have great memories of him. <laughs> so have I. He was, a, he was another father to me. He taught me all terrible things, like sitting in the garden where they'd got a pond, and he'd get a bowl of cherries, and we would sit on the bench, and we had to spit the stones from the cherries into the pond. <laughs> And we competed over this. And here was a man who was older than my father, actually, behaving like an absolute lunacy. Well, I always remember his dear wife, Phyllis, being absolutely horrified at the things he was teaching to my sister Izzy and myself. All you heard was, Eric, stop it! <laughs> <laughs> they, they lived in uh, a, a little town east of London called Loughton. And I used to go there when my sister was being taken back to school. I would have a lovely day uh, with them. And uh, as you went in the front door, the staircase went up to the second floor. And at the top, Phyllis had a little table with a, an arrangement of um, flowers and grasses and sort of feathers. And it was in a pot at the top. And Dizzy used to think it was tremendous fun if I stayed at the bottom <laughs> and he would get the grasses and he would hurl them down the stairs with the intention of spearing me. Yes, which of course was terribly, you know, um, uh, responsible. <laughs> Once it was done, of course, he ran out of... Out of Ammunition, spears. yes. But Phil, dear Phyllis, she didn't understand the fact that if she then collected them and put them back in the pot with a, oh, Eric, 
as she always did, then he had more ammunition. And this would go on for, for hours. <laughs> Tremendous fun. Anyway, he, he gave my father a job um, in what was called Magpie Engineering. And then came the war, and Magpie Engineering was given the contract to um, maintain um, delivery trucks uh, d- uh, distributing ammunition around uh, the London area. So they were, it was a reserved occupation, as they called it. So he didn't have to go back into the army, nor, nor did Dizzy. So they well, of course, they were, they were both pretty good age even then at, th- at that point. Uh, yeah, I, my father was born in um, 1898, so he was, uh, he was 40-ish 40, when the war started. Yeah. Um, and Dizzy was probably 45, 46, a little bit older. Um, and they ran this business with a man who became my godfather, Hugh Blundell Hawks. Mm-hmm. And the three of them were juvenile delinquents. <laughs> Uh, I wonder where we got it from. Well, that was exactly what I was going to say to your listeners. Why is it not a surprise that you and I are as we are? (laughs) Uh, They used to have um, a fleet of Humber one-ton trucks um, for delivering all this stuff. And of course, because the the services, particularly the army and the back act, batteries were in desperate need of ammunition constantly. The one-tonners were desperately overloaded. Yeah. Um, and they'd trundle off um, to the, the war sites with their loads um, and usually come back with either certainly broken springs and broken axles. So they were all pretty busy. Um, but the War Department wasn't satisfied that they were doing enough. So my father and Dizzy and, and Hugh Bluntle-Hawks would be hauled off the the workshop floor um, in East London and would be taken off to do fire watching. And that was where you stood on the top of a high building um, and looking out for where the incendiary bombs were being dropped on London. And if one of those actually ignited a fire, they had to phone and inform a central uh, authority who'd get the fire engines out there and the rescue people to try and help. Um, and he spent some pretty cold, miserable nights sitting up on what was then called the Border Trade Building up by Charing Cross Station. Um, hours and hours of staying there, phoning in, saying there's a whole number of incendiaries just been dropped over Shoreditch or wherever else, and directing the fire engines to get to it. Yeah, an incredibly important job. Well, it, it, yes, it was. I don't think they were ever really regarded as being anything other than, um, well, they're helping a bit. Well, that uh, was so, that's so carnage. typical. When you listen to history and you listen to folks who, and of course, most people are now longer no longer with us, um, but they just counted it as part of being, uh, you know, the, the typical British stiff upper lip almost. Well, they just got on with it. Yeah. It was something that had to be done. Um, and I, if this was going to help the war effort, well, they all rallied round. And I, um, after the Battle of Britain in 1941, um, we, we uh, my mother, my sister and I had been shafted off to um, 
uh, west, uh, little town, the west of England. And quite honestly, we knew nothing about the war. Nothing ever happened over there. Yeah. So it was all a bit of a mystery when poor old father traipsed down there to see us the occasional weekend and spent virtually his entire time fast asleep. He was absolutely knackered. Yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, yeah, and of course, uh, also probably both both mentally and physically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, by time, by 1943, there was some sort of thought, uh, completely wrong as it happened, that the war was coming to an end. Yeah. And we were brought back to um, a village the, the, uh, on the east side of London, which was could not have been a worse choice, honestly. We had the wonderful North Weald Air Defence uh, RAF base just up the road from us, where the Spitfires and Hurricanes were constantly fighting off uh, the Germans coming in to bomb London. Yeah. And we were there um, as the V1s, the Doodlebugs, and then the V2s arrived. And uh, I suppose one has to look at this. The fact it's really rather lucky that you're able to sit in America, because if I had been killed by the V2 that landed just up the road from us, no one would ever have known. No one would be very sad. Well, well, it would certainly, yes, appalling. And uh, I, I want to go back to that story here in a minute. So we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back with more stories here on AM650 KGAB. <laughs> And we're back on Cargab, Nick the Motor Guy with a recorded show, and I'm very again very proud to have my father Hugh Dodson on. I, we were talking in the uh, break about uh, my grandfather and his uh, his history in the automotive industry, and then a little bit of World War Two, which unfortunately. Um, well, fortunately, unfortunately, but was a big part of many people's lives who grew up, grew up in Britain, such as such as yourself, including a rather rather close escape from uh, one of the uh, V twos. Correct. Yep. Um, January nineteen forty five. Forty forty five. Nineteen forty five. No, right That's at the, the end. Right at the. It was right at the end. Yeah. Um, but there were a lot of rockets coming out, sadly, um, from um, mostly from Holland. And the one that uh, nearly removed the family um, was... was, was what, a, what a way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> well, a more elegant way of saying it. Anyway, it landed up the road. Uh, demolished a little church, um, took our roof off, took all our windows out, and, uh, well, we survived it. It was just one of those things, but it was, my God, it was a hell of a bang when it went off. I, I'm sure, I'm sure. That, that That is a memory that never leaves. Uh, no, you'll remember that one. The other thing I must remember, too, also, is the fact that we had a cat at the time, <laughs> and the overpressure um, of the uh, warhead going off blew out the the windows and opened the back door and the cat who'd been asleep in the kitchen <laughs> felt itself obviously quite assaulted by this door suddenly bursting open rushed down the garden and proceeded to have the most appalling fight with next door's cat and all, all i can remember now is that a huge explosion and this cat fight <laughs> 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 it's ridiculous for things you remember. 
Obviously, uh, next door's cat was bl- blamed for the German rockets. Oh, that's wonderful. So. We we continue out of the war and into the late 40s, and, of course, you were at school, and my grandfather at that point went on to... He went to work for, for Guy Trucks and became the export manager, and then he went from Guy to Atkinson. Um, and these are names, a, these are nameplates that won't be familiar to many people here in the States, although they... One or other of them produced fire trucks at one stage, which may have come here. Is that right? Uh, yes, indeed. Um, Atkinson um, had some pretty big um, uh, chassis, um, and they went all over the world. Um, my father had a, a, a big contract in the war places, Ethiopia, and those trucks are still in existence. Um, some went to South America. My mother's connections in Argentina made that possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but those names have all gone now. We we don't have trucks called uh, Guy and Atkinson and Foden. And They've all gone. And Dennis, uh, right? Yeah, dear old Dennis in Guildford, who <laughs> who made some of the finest fire engines and coaches you could wish to to travel in. It's, uh, yeah, I, it was, I really was the center of truck building I, I, where that uh, didn't really happen so much in America. A lot of the trucks all around the world came out of Britain and that was, it was, pro- I mean, this really was the, uh, without being too rude, but the last gasps of the British Empire. Uh, yes, well, I think that's probably true. Uh, we, we got ourselves, I think, as a nation into the, the frame of mind that our empire would always buy whatever we produced and would pay for it. And slowly but surely they realized that this may be a, there's a better way of doing this, to have industry um, in their own countries. So British Ford went to, to India, as I uh, referred to earlier, and factories were opened all over the place. And then suddenly we found, hey, we're not getting any money. We're not selling these things. Yeah. And my father, as an export manager, um, was desperately looking for opportunities. Uh, he was going all over the world at that stage. Wonderful DC-60s. Loved them. <laughs> Wonderful old airplane. He absolutely loved being in a DC-6. <laughs> and he, he was flying to Canada, and um, he was up in Finland regularly. Um, all over the place, trying to flog quite honestly, trucks and cars to some degree, um, designs which had long since failed. Yeah. And you, you know it as well as anyone, Nick, that what we did with the motorcycle industry, we just never developed. Well, no, we, we uh, the British uh, industry was so poorly run at that point, we were relying on what were brilliant designs 30, 40, 50 years earlier, built on the same machinery from 30, 40, 50 years earlier. And uh, tolerances which were measured in the thousands then, once the machinery had all worn down, were now measured not quite in inches, that might be a little excessive, but it wasn't far off. It was what was happily known as slop. <laughs> it's a horrible name, that. Bearings were a bit 
sloppy. <laughs> yeah, don't worry <laughs> about the knock. Yeah, don't worry about the knocks. <laughs> put a thicker oil in. Yeah, just put a little shim behind that bearing. It'll be all right. <laughs> It's terrible. It's a, I mean, the standard of some of that work that came out in the this, um, our first war, 45, early 50s, I, it was disgraceful. Yeah, it and really was. I thought that people would buy it because it was British. Yes, well, they did. That was the bad part. Um, some pe- uh, people still believed they were getting um, great engineering. I, and it's amazing how long... It shows the brilliance of the original design. I, if we were to look at probably the longest living, which tragically, tragically, maybe not tragically, has finally met its demise. But the Royal Enfield Classic 350 and Classic 500, which actually are going to be replaced in six days, by a brand new engine um, that is directly related to the bullet from Royal Enfield in 1938 so that engine yep. lasted 81 years uh, that's absolutely fantastic <laughs> I mean, it, it, look at the the, um, the Mini the proper Mini not the BMW thing yes not our awful BMW thing that engine <laughs> came into being the year that I was born in 1937. Yep. And it was an 850 side valve, if I remember correctly. Or flathead for the American audience. Yep, that's the one. And I, that was still in production, of, what, 10 years ago? Uh, 2000-ish, I think, so 20 years ago now. I think years. by 02, 03, I think it had pretty much disappeared. Although, who knows, there may be some country in Africa that's still bolting something together with an A-series. Well, remember what the Hindustan is. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a Hellman, isn't it, or is it a Humber? Uh, it's, it's an Austin, I think. Oh, is it? An, oh, that's an right. It's yeah. Or and they even made a version of it in um, Iran, which was based off the old Morris Oxford and Austin Cambridge. That's I remember right. exactly. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that um, equipment that built it was precisely the equipment that had been in the British uh, workshops. Yeah, and, and <laughs> incredible, amazing. Well, we're going to take thought- a we're going to take another break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to hear more from you, more stories, more. Just well, we're just going to chat about the automotive industry and how it's uh, developed or not developed over the years. But we'll be right back. Nick the Motor Guy back here on AM650 KGAB with Cargab with Tim Juanitas and we're chatting about cars, cigars and guitars and it is the 2021 event. Uh, we now have the Facebook page up and running and if you weren't able to make it to the event in the, la- the last year, um, you can go back and see what happened because thanks to Debbie Martinez, who took some really magnificent pictures during the event, uh, you can see what we are doing and, it, and see what we're planning for 2021. And if you would, although we don't have the website up yet, that should be up and running here within the next three to four weeks that I will let you know on the show when that's going. But for now, if you do want to get a jump on how to get your car registered, you can send us a message on Facebook. Look up uh, Cars, Cigars, Cigars and Guitars on Facebook and you can message and that will come to either myself or Nick Moores and we'll get right back with you. Um, if you'd like to help or volunteer at the event, please 
please feel free to do that as well. We could always use more volunteers, right, Tim? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And we've got uh, uh, almost to the point we will be announcing the charities, I would think, in the next month. Correct. Um, yeah, we got it. I think we got it narrowed down. And last year we had three charities, and this year we're anticipating a huge increase. So we're gonna we're gonna stick our neck out a little bit, but we're gonna have a minimum of five charities this year that we're gonna be contributing to. Yep, and uh, we're gonna, we're gonna hit those goals and those charities. I mean, every charity nonprofit in the whole country really took it hard. I mean, it's tough on everybody. Um, yep. And uh, being able to go out, enjoy one's fellow uh, human being in a field with automotive <laughs> excellence and raise, oh, yeah. a lot, and raise a lot of money. I mean, what, what a better way to spend a beautiful right. September evening. Yeah. And you know, the date uh, this year is September 11th. 21, which is the anniversary of 911. Yep. And uh, we're going to, of course, be honoring some of our local first responders. Yep. Amongst others, uh, and we're not going to. We're going to make sure that uh, we do so. We're going to got some nice events planned for that as well. Indeed. And, uh, don't forget about the motorcycle raffle. Why don't you tell us about that? Well, uh, Shire Motorsports will again be donating a motorcycle. Um, we are still in the decision-making uh, piece, but I have spoken to Mike Roark, who is uh, CEO of Royal Enfield North America. He thinks it's a great idea, is very supportive of it, and we will have a new Royal Enfield motorcycle, which we will have announced as to exactly what it is here within the next probably two months. Get the tickets made up, and you will have a chance to buy those tickets well before the event. We're going to make sure those are available through the website. We're going to make sure those are available all around town here in Cheyenne. And for $25, you could be riding a brand new Royal Enfield motorcycle. Boy, that's really exciting, Nick. Thanks again for your generous contribution for that. That's we sold a lot of tickets, haven't we? we How many tickets did we sell last year? Uh, about eleven thousand bucks worth of tickets last yeah, year. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. In about three and a half weeks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we won't get into that. But I was, uh, I told Nick, I because I thought he was dragging his feet on this thing. I didn't think we had enough time to sell by the time he. We get all the promotional material. I didn't think we had enough time to sell those tickets, but he proved me wrong. <laughs> we, sold, we, we sold almost all of them, and, and two thirds of them were sold right. Well, half of them were sold at the event. Yeah, half before the event. So thanks the, to our charities that helped out. Absolutely, I was just about to say the three charities, and of course, it's great when you involve charities, and you and I have. Them have done a lot of charity work and we've worked with a lot of charities and some charities really grab the um, the, the ability with both hands and go, yep, we're alongside, we're going to do everything we can and all three of those guys last year busted their rear ends in every way. They were fantastic. That's right. Let's talk about the registration and the ticket. Yeah. Tickets. And, I'm sure a lot of people out there want to know what it's going to cost to get in what they get and how they get how do they get their tickets absolutely go ahead well first of all we're not going to raise the prices this year and a lot of people ask us man you guys could probably double what you're charging for us no no we want to keep it affordable for everybody and it doesn't matter what class they're in or what you know what income level they're at or where they're coming because some of these people are having to come in from out of town and we are going to have an arrangement with a local 
Little America has agreed to roll out a special room rate for us again this year. So for those that are are going to trailer a car in or drive in and want to spend the night or two, uh, they can get a special rate at Little America, which is really nice, and they got plenty of safe parking out there as well for their cars. But the tickets are still only going to be $100 a piece, and of course that $100 not only enters your car and yourself, but it entitles you to the, the tri-tip dinner and all the free drinks and and uh, they have the live uh, entertainment plus the opportunity to look at all these hundreds of cars so it's really really a good value and then again once again this year for only fifty dollars more you can uh you can purchase your second ticket for your your spouse or your significant other uh so i think that really makes it super affordable uh for, for those that are bringing their cars especially and that 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 will and they can register more than one car right nick yeah yeah i believe they can i believe that happened a couple of times <laughs> yeah yeah so, so several people registered you know two or three cars and uh which is which is great so in any case, that's that's how it works, and we'll again our once the website's up, they'll be able to do so. Or if they want to uh, uh, contact you versus uh, Facebook or a text or whatever, that'd be great. But we'll we'll make the registration really easy this year. And for those that participated last year, we won't need a photo this year because we already got your photo of your car. So uh, we'll, they'll be able to skip that that step. Uh, but we're uh, it's again. It's, we're really excited about being able to be able to offer the uh, pr- the premier classic car event in in the front range, and, and frankly, we get, we're getting calls from all over the country. People just can't believe them. You know what what a great value this thing was, and what a great yeah. response we got. Well, and and here in Cheyenne, this is pro- where really. I mean, and then yep. they're excited to come come to somewhere different. And, of course, yep. we're going to tie it into uh, cruise nights as well. So the event, yep. once it is ended, you can come down and cruise downtown uh, with Cheyenne Cruise Nights, which yep. typically saw, and Tim, you could brought the Caddy and a couple of the other cars down on different nights. Yep. And, I mean, there yep. were 500,000 classic cars down here yep. in the evenings. Yep. So people could really do both. I mean, they can come to our, our event starts like around four o'clock in the afternoon, and uh, they can leave there. What we think? What did we say? Around seven or seven thirty or eight? Down, yeah. Yeah. Go down to cruise night and, and make a day of it. Absolutely. Something well, else I forgot to mention that's really important is we're going to continue, even though we're anticipating the COVID's going to be way behind us. We're still going to provide a very safe environment for for all to enjoy. Absolutely, and we we got some Back of our. To, yeah. And on our facilities side, we've got some great military and ex-military folks who really helped us get that organized, did a fantastic job. I don't, yes. There was at no point did I feel that we were anything but spot on with uh, the cleanliness and everything else. Yep. And the, yep. um, it just worked perfectly. And again, thanks to those guys, uh, oh, yeah. Jim and Ty and all their folks who just did us proud. Yep. Yeah, and you know that, and I think as we've talked, that something good comes out of everything, and and even with the COVID behind us, I think there's a lot of these practices aren't going to end. Exactly. And I think the sanitization, sanitization of the tables and the chairs and the and the eating areas and the, all the different stuff, the touch areas and having hand lotions around, and those that want to wear a mask can certainly wear a mask. And yep. I mean it, that's it, you know some of that's all that stuff is really good stuff. So it's uh, I think we're. I'm really glad. Actually, it was it was a blessing that we were able to 
we were able to do this last year, even in, in the midst of all that. So in the we midst of sure all we were doing it right. Yeah. Well, Tim, thank you for your time today. We, of course, You're we're going to have you back on many times before we get to September, but great. we want to get people it. excited about it early on because it's going to be a great event again. Cars, cigars, and guitars under the stars. Thanks, Tim. Thank you, Tim Geronis. We will uh, speak know. soon. Bye-bye. We'll talk soon. Bye now. And today with me, I am proud as ever and all the way from Great Britain. And of course, many of you have heard my father, Hugh Dodson, with me over the years. Did our first Cargab show ever before the show even had a name way back in uh, November of 2007. I'm proud to have my father back on today and we can uh, have some... I don't know, some conversations. You may have heard these stories before. You may not have, but they're always fun. And one of the best parts is I get to record these so that they're down for posterity. Anyway, good morning, dear father. How are you? I am very well and very nice to hear you. I'm appalled to think how long the show has been going on. I very much remember, very happily, the first one we did. Do you remember we sat in the car driving down to the studio and said, what are we going to talk about? We really ought to do some planning. No, we didn't, and we still haven't. And of course, we did spend many hours over the last three minutes working out what we were going to talk about today, and we realized that, well, we're just going to do the same thing and have some fun with us, and that's what this is going to be about. So, you know, I want to go back. That first show, I wish it was recorded um, in some ways, although with my complete lack of ability in those days, not that it's improved greatly, um, probably a good thing it wasn't. But when what I am and what I have become in the car and motorcycle fanatic thing that is me, you do realize is entirely your fault. Oh, well, my back is broad, fortunately. I get blamed for everything. Oh, yes, you poor thing. I, I'm sure, I'm sure my, my mother's in the background going, yes, oh, you poor thing. Did you hear it? I, yeah, I, it was there. <laughs> I'm sure it was. <laughs> no, Nick, honestly, over, over the many years, whether it was sitting around the dining room table or whether it was going for miles and miles in the car, the one thing we never had a problem was is thinking about what we would talk about. On Townsquare Media of Southeast Wyoming Podcast. Find more of our shows at kgab.com backslash podcasts.